Welcome. It's good to be together. Welcome to those who are watching online. Uh, it is a joy to see your faces, I, and I'm going to say that every week until, until I get tired of seeing your faces. So, um, it is far better to be able to preach in a room with people than in a room with just two of us, uh, as what we did over the last uh, three months leading into last week. So, um, again, it is a joy to see your smiling faces. I'm assuming you're smiling under your mask, so uh, I'm going to just enjoy the thought of you smiling as you come to church. All right, that being said, if you would open your Bibles to Exodus, we're going to catch the last couple of verses of chapter 5 and move into chapter 6 this morning. As you're turning there, I just want to recall to mind the series title uh, for our work and our time in Exodus. The series title theme is Delivered to Dwell. That God delivers His people so that they would dwell with Him. That's not just the story of Exodus, but that's really the story of the Bible. And we see the greater Exodus in the person and work of Christ, delivering us from the bondage of our sin so that we could dwell with God for all eternity. What good news. Well, we're going to get a hint of that good news this morning. So we're going to read verses, chapter 5, verse 22, and the first verse of chapter 6 to start with, but we're going to go all the way through verse 13 of chapter 6 this morning. So keep your Bible handy. We're going to refer back to this passage as we go forward. So let's hear God's Word. If you wouldn't mind, please stand for the reading of the Word. Uh, as you, I just made you all get comfortable, so uh, sorry about that. Uh, as you're standing, let's hear God's Word. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, what have you done? Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we come to it, you do a good work in our hearts, that you would encourage us with the truth that we find here, so be with the preaching, the hearing, the receiving of this, your word, to your glory, to our good, we pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> as I wrapped up my sermon prep on Friday, the little news alert that flashed on my phone said this. Single most confirmed coronavirus cases in single day in U.S. My heart ached. Then as I read about Elijah McLean and the renewed attention his death is receiving, my heart filled with anger. And then when I saw or see and continue to see and hear how painfully divided our nation is about anything from face masks to toppled statues, my heart feels exhausted. And in that ache and anger and exhaustion, it can be challenging to have hope. 
even as our times seem so dark. Moses had that moment many times. I mean, we're just getting into chapter 6. He's had that moment many times. And God's interaction with him here, in our passage today, gives us a picture of where hope comes from. Bright hope. Bright hope, even in the midst of dark times. That's my hope for us this morning. We consider this passage that we would have bright hope in dark times. And as we move through our passage, I want us to see that bright hope in dark times is found in these ways. One, turning to the God of all mercy. If you want a bright hope in dark times, it starts with turning to the God of all mercy. Secondly, it's then resting in the God of all grace. Resting in Him, who He is, what He has done, what that makes you. And then thirdly, living for the God who saves. Living for the God who saves. Turn to the God of all mercy. Rest in the God of all grace. Live for the God who saves. If you want bright hope in dark times. Let's consider our passage. First, bright hope in dark times is found in turning to the God of all mercy. So as we opened with, Moses turned to the Lord. So what verse 22 in chapter 5 says. It says, turn to the Lord. And so his turn to the Lord is one of lament. It is a complaint. It is a crying out. His turning to the Lord is really an idiomatic expression of prayer. But not just like praying for Aunt Gertrude's bunion. Like it is, it is this, this prayer filled with anguish and despair. He's laying out his heart bare before the Lord. Now, when you heard me read it and when you were reading it in your Bible, it felt like a pretty bold accusation that Moses made before the Lord. You probably thought, "Uh huh, I don't really think that's the right way to approach God there, Moses. Accusing God of not doing what he said he would do. Now, we need to take a second and think carefully here. Moses isn't being bold or arrogant in his complaint and accusation. No, that's not the nature of his prayer. This is a man who is broken and desperate, and he's pleading before God, Where are you? You, you said you would be here. Now, I, th- I think we can relate to that feeling, that prayer, that heart that's filleted open before God. So, 
Take note well here. The embers of bright hope are fanned in the presence of mind to turn to the Lord. Even, even when that turn is marked with despair, to turn to the Lord. As I think on this, I, it hits me like a truck. We have nowhere else to turn. Nowhere else to look. And perhaps you know what it feels like to cry out to God in dark times. In times when you feel so overwhelmed and God feels so distant. God feels so absent. And it seems God is so silent. Maybe you've been a Psalm 13 person. Psalm 13 is six verses. Two of the verses, the psalmist is just crying out, How long is this going to go on? How long? How long? How long? How long? Maybe you have cried out, How long? There's Psalm 73. The psalmist, overwhelmed by the circumstances around him, cries out, not how long, but why? Why is this happening? Why is all this good happening to enemies and all this bad happening to me? Maybe you have cried out, why? Well, Psalm 73 Verses 16 and 17, and then verse 25, to sort of cap that, gives us a sense of why turning to the Lord is the embers of a bright hope in the midst of dark times. Note what happens to the psalmist, who's been asking for the entire psalm up to this point, why, 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 why? But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed... To me, a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Whom have I in heaven but you? The start of a bright hope in a dark time starts with you turning to God. Even in all of your pain, in all of your angst, in all of your anguish, in all of your anger, in all of your lament, in all of your mourning, in all of your questions. It starts, bright hope starts with turning to the Lord, to the God of all mercy. It doesn't start without it. Turning to the God of all mercy. As you look in your Bible in Exodus chapter 6, God responds. But know how he responds. He, he doesn't respond to Moses as Moses deserves. Do you see that there? Do you see how incredibly merciful and kind and understanding God is to Moses who's crying out to him? We have a God who has mercy for those who have flubs. I'm going to say it again. Loves, follies, and foibles. I just had to say the word foible again. We have a God who has mercy for us. He has mercy for us in our fears and our failures. 
His mercy for us in our anger and our laments and our crying out and our accusations. Guess what? He can take it. And He wants you to come to Him, to turn to Him. What remarkable news this is. May we see here that the beginnings of a bright hope in dark times begins with our turning to God, the God of all mercy. And then as we turn to Him, and we don't get what we deserve, we then get what we don't deserve. We find that God is the God of all grace. And we are to rest there. Rest in the God of all grace. Let's read. The word should be on the screen. Let's read verses 2 through 8. 2 through 8 of chapter 6. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Woe. Not just that it's a woe because it's amazing what God is saying here. It's a woe because Moses just said, You have not delivered your people at all. Where are you? God is so overwhelmingly gracious. He is so overwhelmingly gracious in His response to Moses and His response to us. He has grace upon grace upon grace. For weary, worn out, worn down, beleaguered, bedraggled people like us. So Yahweh, God, reassures Moses. He says, sort of a bookend, in verse 2 and in verse 8, I am the Lord. And if you know in your Bibles, the word Lord is all capitalized. Every letter is capitalized. It's referring to that name that we considered a few weeks ago, Yahweh. That incredibly special, theologically significant name, Yahweh. I am who I am, he says. What remarkable, what a remarkable name, what a remarkable God it conveys. It gives us a sense of, 
of what he is, who he is, and what he does. It bookends what he then says, and it gives context to everything that he says in the middle. The middle is filled with what God will do, but the bookends explain why God will do it. Why will God do that incredible work of delivering his people and bringing them to this land where they will dwell with him? Why will he do it? He will do it because that's who God is. That's who he is. That's his character. His works reflect to us his character, his worth, his being. God saves because that's who God is. You cannot divorce God's gracious work from His character and being. He does grace because He is grace. And then, when you look at the stuff in the middle, the incredible stuff in the middle that God says He will do, you'll find seven I will statements here. Seven is an important Number in the Bible, it's symbolic of something that is complete, total, or whole. God is saying, I will completely, wholly, totally rescue my people. He goes on and he says, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. And I will give it to you. Complete whole, total rescue. Delivered to dwell. And this is all of grace. The whole Exodus story is all of grace. The grand narrative of the entire Bible is all of grace. The even greater Exodus the one that is found in the personal work of Christ, is all of grace. Every droplet of it is riding on God, and God has grace and mercy and power and presence to do it all. All of it. Every ounce of it. Every droplet of it. God graciously does it. Bright hope in dark times starts by turning to the Lord of all mercy. And bright hope and dark times begins to burn brighter as you rest in the God of all grace. God, here in our passage, reiterates His purpose, His promise, His power, His presence to Moses and to the people. And that same thing unfolds through the pages of history, through the pages of Scripture, culminating in the person and work of Christ. But I can't help but But see here, God speaking to Moses and to the people, a a, a sort of longer form of what what is said of the Lord in Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He doesn't wait for you to get your life all cleaned up and in order. He doesn't wait for you to sort of like iron out the wrinkles. He draws near while you are brokenhearted, 
He saves while you are crushed. He pours out grace while you lament, while you cry out, while you ask, where are you? God is near and God saves. What remarkable grace. Now, Tom came up and he he prayed and he quoted from the hymn, Come Thou Fount. He didn't know that I also was going to quote the same part in my notes. At least I don't think he knew. Um, But most remarkably, when we think about this, resting in the God of all grace, we get to say, Oh, to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. God of all grace does this in people in great need of grace. So you don't have to pretend that you got your life all in order or that your heart is perfectly functioning fine. You can bring your mess to the Lord and you will find mercy and grace in your time of need. Now most incredibly, most incredibly, most remarkably is that this grace is even greater in display and demonstration later in in your Bible, later in the pages of Scripture You find it in the Gospels. You find it in the person and work of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the fulfillment of what we see and read and understand here in Exodus. Jesus is the greatest fulfillment of all that we find here in Exodus. So when God says, I will do these things, He does do them. He does rescue them out of Egypt. He does bring them to the land. And so in a sense, God held on to his word and he did it. But all of that was still just foreshadowing this even greater God would be doing. And that is through Jesus. Think of John chapter 1, verses 14 and 16. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. And from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Consider 1 Timothy chapter 3. What happens when Christ arrives? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, what did He do? He saved us. Not because of works done in us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. The greatest outpouring of grace and mercy that God has ever soaked this planet with has been in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that gets announced through the gospel and it is why we can never set it aside and it's why it needs to be lifeblood to us to our hope in the midst of dark days that we have one who has rescued us from sin death and Satan who has saved us not because we had it all put together 
but because we were deathly sick in our sin, and He has great grace and mercy for us. This is where your bright hope in dark times comes from. The God of all mercy, the God of all grace. Bright hope in dark times is sourced by resting in the God of all grace who overcomes the depth of our darkness by the saving work of His Son. And as a result of experiencing the mercy and grace of God in our lives, we get to go forward and to live out our lives for the God who saves. Let's look at verses 9 through 13. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out to his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Situation didn't change. God still said go. Moses poured out his heart. God reassured him. Moses said, they're still not going to listen. God said, go. So that tells us something very important here. Hope is not fixed on what, but on who. Hope is not fixed on what, but on who. Changed circumstances are not the reason for you to have hope. A sovereign and gracious God is the reason for you to have hope. Note here, the people are broken. They have nothing left. They got excited at the end of chapter 4. seemed like God was at work. God's on the move. Moses showed up, did some signs, some wonders, reassured the people, and they're like, yeah, let's go do it. Moses sort of struts into Pharaoh's court, says, hey, it's time for us to go. Pharaoh says no, and then goes on to make their lives even worse. The people are crushed. Moses is despairing. Pharaoh is unrelenting. Yet God is still sending Moses forward. So that means it's not a change in circumstances that should fuel and source your hope. No, faith that's fixed on improved circumstances in life is not faith. We set ourselves up for either disappointment or a whole lot of despair by fixing our faith on change circumstances in our lives. Yes, there are horrible circumstances that maybe many of us have right now or maybe have experienced in our lives. I'm not saying to make light of those things, 
But just simply seeing them change is not giving us a bright hope in dark times of a hope that is sourced and fueled to last forever because it's only fixed on something temporal. We need to have a faith that soars above the heights of what we can see in order to be resolute in days that are dark and it's hard to see. So it's a hope that's not fixed on what, but on who. And that leads us to a life not fixed on how, or not fixed on what, but on how. A life that's fixed on how, not necessarily what. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't want to give you moralism as the answer here. Just, you know, don't do what Moses does. All right, I'll see you guys next week. And I certainly don't want to over-spiritualize this sort of context and give you some sort of over-spiritualized soup that's running and watered down. What's your Pharaoh that you have to go forward toward? No, I'm not doing that. This isn't about what you do in your life. Where you live, where you work, who you marry. It's not about that. It's about how you live this life. How you live out your life in light of a God who is merciful and gracious and saves you. Consider how God wants you to live. Isaiah 66. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Consider Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Consider 1 Peter 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Where does bright hope And dark times come from, it comes from turning to the God of all mercy, resting in the God of all grace, and living humbly, happily, hopefully after Him in the way that He would want you to live. Knowing that He cares for you, and He says, bring me all your anxieties, every one of them. And I have mercy and grace for you in full measure. Bright hope is found in humble hearts who cry out to God for help, who rest in the God of all grace and live for the God who saves no matter how dark the times may be. And no matter how dark these days may get, there is hope that is brightly illuminated by the God of all grace and mercy. And so I want to encourage you, 
the sooner we track that brightness back to its source, the better equipped our lives will be to live with hope in dark times. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that in it we find hope. We find you, the God of all grace and mercy, the God who saves, beleaguered, beat-down people like us, even in our despair, even in our laments, even in our crying out, oh God, you draw near the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. If there be anyone of us here this morning who fits that description, brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, God, I pray that you would draw near and save. You would bring your grace and your mercy to bear down on their hearts and lives. Bring life, bring strength, bring hope, bright hope in the midst of dark times. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.